Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, um, episode seven. Just wanted to uh, say thanks to Sean Richardson for being on the show last week. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm speaking in, in, in hushed tones right now because it is currently 3.30 in the morning, and uh, my wife is asleep. So um, I was going to record this tomorrow, but uh, the mood struck me now. So anyway, uh, before we get into uh, the topic today, um, I wanted to um, address some of the things that have been emailed to me, um, and they're not negative at all, but uh, it has become clear to me that uh, that uh, a, a, high, a fairly high percentage of uh, the more than one lesson listenership is uh, atheist, and uh, of course there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. By all means, keep listening. Um, but uh, we've got, I, I've gotten a, a couple of uh, comments about you know the <laughs> the Christian nature of this of this show and website, and uh, I've gotten some very generous offers from uh, some of our atheist uh, listeners um, to write to contribute to the blog, um, you know, so that we get uh, an atheist perspective as well as a Christian perspective, um, and. Again, I do appreciate that. I like that people are getting on board with the show. But what I will say is that uh, this show is it's it's by Christians and for Christians. That was basically the idea. Um, it is not a debate show. It is not meant to show all sides. Now, I'm not against all sides being shown in general. I'm not against... Uh, topics and issues being debated back and forth between Christians and atheists. I'm not against that at all. Um, things should be debated, and, and I feel like we as Christians should uh, seek out other people's point of view, um, at the very least, just so that we can kind of focus in on what our, on what our own is. And so, um, so I'm not against that. I don't want to give the impression that, uh, that <laughs> that I, I feel like people should uh, should only focus on on a Christian perspective, but what I will say is that that is not what this site and uh, and podcast is about. Um, this is film criticism from a strictly Christian point of view. Um, if you know if if somebody wanted to seek out film criticism from an atheist point of view, I imagine that it would be uh, easier to find because. Uh, one of the reasons that I started the show was because I feel like uh, there is not, <laughs> as I said uh, in, I think, episode one, there are not a lot of Christian critics out there, uh, and the few that are, are they're very vocal, uh, but they seemed fairly closed off to a lot of uh, a lot of different kinds of movies because they have language or sex or violence or whatever. And so I wanted to bring my film school mentality uh, into uh, Christian conversation, uh, while at the same time never losing the Christian aspect of it. And so that's kind of what the show was about, is reconciling those two things that uh, some people on both sides would say uh, are enemies. So, um, you know, to those who, who emailed in uh, about the idea of you know, trying to show all sides. Um, I do appreciate, uh, I, I appreciate all feedback, of course. And, 
uh, I appreciate the offer of being the one to the being the ones to uh, offer that atheist point of view. But um, yeah, that's that's not what this show is. And if I'm not, you know, and, and I want to be careful that I don't stray too far from what I want the show to be. So uh, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. But uh, but as of right now, this is a this is a website by Christians and for Christians. So, uh, yeah, shoot. You know what? The the fact that I just said it was for Christians, it's for anybody. All right. Uh, not not simply those who who believe in in Jesus and and all that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's by Christians, but it's for anybody. Okay, I don't want to be exclusionary in uh, in you know the potential audience for the show. So uh, anyway, I wanted to get that out of the way. Um, you know, I, I I really I feel I feel kind of bad. I don't want any uh, you know atheist or agnostic listeners to feel that I don't care about their opinion. I absolutely do. Um, but you know, this is this is the direction that that I feel the show is supposed to go. So um, I hope that you're not offended by that. Um, and honestly, I hope that. <laughs> I hope that nobody's offended by any of the stuff that I say on this on this show. Um, I know that uh, you know some of the episodes, specifically you know the one about milk and probably the one about religious. Uh, I understand that uh, you know I say things that are fairly offen- that that could be seen as fairly offensive uh, or closed-minded or bigoted in those episodes, and um, you know, and, and the point is not to offend people. I know that there are actually some Christians out there who will say very extreme things with the uh, intention of quote-unquote getting people's attention and that is not that's not what I want to do. I I want this to be uh, a show and a website of reconciliation where people can, you know, on the forum and through feedback and blog comments and that sort of thing where people can come together and talk about film and t- maybe talk about other things as well, beliefs in general. And that is happening on the forum, and I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, but uh, but my, my goal is never to offend. So if I have offended you, um, you know, I, I do apologize. Uh, I, I didn't do it purposely. So anyway, uh, so enough of that uh, maudlin stuff. Let's go ahead and move into the topic. Um, so when I did the super bad episode I was talking about of course swearing and and that sort of thing and one of the listeners chimed in saying well hey have you heard about this movie called In the Loop it's a British film and there's a lot of swearing in that and I thought oh okay well there's a lot of swearing in a lot of British films um and then I so that was the first I had heard of this in the loop movie, and then I and then suddenly I heard about it on IMDb, and then I heard about it in I think uh, Newsweek, and then right and left I I couldn't get away from this movie in the loop. Like I heard about it, and then all of a sudden I couldn't get away from it, and um and then a friend of mine was was kind enough to uh, uh he had a friend who worked at a studio or a distributor or something like that, so he actually had it on on CD, so I could watch it on my computer. Um, I mention that primarily because it's not a film that's easy to find. Uh, and like I believe in all of Los Angeles, I believe there might only be one theater showing it. Um, so, so I watched In the Loop, and man, oh man, uh, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. It's really great. Uh, as I said, it's a British film. 
and it's basically about uh, various British and American politicians just kind of deciding that they need to start a war. Uh, they don't specify where the war is, although my guess is it's probably in the Middle East. And it's basically about all the political maneuvering to make that war happen, or in the case of some of the characters, uh, keep that war from happening. And it's very funny. It's it, The film is a comedy, a, a very dark comedy, uh, a, a comedy that actually gets darker as it goes along. It seems like, uh, you know, almost a a delightful sitcom for a while because everybody, you know, all the politicians and the generals and the, you know, and the assistants, like all of them have very strong personalities. And at some point, pretty much every, almost everybody has like a moment where they get to yell at somebody else or tell somebody else off. And those are the highlights of the film from a comedic standpoint. Uh, And so it seems like just this delightful uh, farcical kind of film but as it goes on, uh, without be, without turning too dramatic is what's interesting. Is it, it maintains its comedy, its comic tone throughout, but only at the end of the film do you really start. Does the audience really start to grapple with how sad this is? Um, you know, uh, a war. You know, uh, a war is it, usually usually thousands of people. Innocent people sometimes, uh, but certainly thousands of soldiers uh, on both sides die. You know, it's it's a loss of life. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about starting off uh, this episode with a, uh, with a lyric from uh, Edwin Starr in which I say, War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. But that's, of course, not 100% true, uh, because war is actually good for a lot of things, like uh, war, you know, helped us get rid of that little Hitler problem that we had for a while, and um, so it it certainly, it it is a necessity sometimes, Um, but I would venture to say that, that, uh, and I'm sorry if this sounds really liberal to some people, but uh, I would say that most of the time war is not 100% necessary, Um, there are probably other avenues uh, to explore before going into it. And I think that's one of the interesting uh, points brought up in this film is the fact that uh, they never state who they're going to war with. Um, but everybody's still so passionate about doing it. And then, the, you know, some of the people who want to wage the war... Uh, they say, like, I, I just, I need to find some evidence. So it's like they decided to go to war before they actually had any evidence. And then, of course, uh, a paper gets out written by just this, uh, you know, this uh, politician's assistant. And she basically puts out a, a paper saying all the reasons for war and all the reasons against war, this war specifically that the, that the characters are wanting to wage. And there's way more again, way more reasons against the war than for. And so people are joking uh, to this uh, this aide that uh, you know her political life is over and that sort of thing. Even though, well, why would her political life be over if she's just releasing a paper of her opinion? Well, because it's not a very popular opinion. And um, so that paper kind of becomes uh, the catalyst, and all of a sudden it's like, oh shoot! Well, we thought people were on board with this war, and now and now this paper is out, and now what are we gonna do? And it's that uh, it's it's the hustle and bustle uh, of the behind the scenes 
uh, action uh, regarding that paper that that uh, the story revolves around. And uh, and what's interesting is the the film is pretty uh, pretty objective in in the way it deals with the characters. Uh, you see that the pro-war people are not that different from the anti-war people um, as far as just the way they deal with each other. Um, you know, there is a... I feel like that there's a certain stigma uh, in this country that, uh, you know, pro-war people are just a bunch of jerks and they just, you know, they will just trample on everybody else and that they don't care what anybody has to say and that anti-war people are just... Uh, are anti-war people, uh, proponents or whatever, um, are very, they're very noble and they stand in the face of these, of these blowhards and oh, they do that, you know, but in this, in this film, everybody's politically motivated, everybody. I mean, there's a character who is anti-war and, uh, when it becomes clear that this war is probably going to happen, he keeps thinking like, well, Maybe I should resign and protest, and it's like, oh, that's kind of a noble action. But he's, but the way that he talks about it, he's clearly weighing it from a career point of view. Like, oh, will it look good if I resign and protest? Because this might help me later on down the line. And uh, and he, you know, some of the anti-war people are just as weaselly and conniving as as the pro-war people. And and it's interesting that. In some cases, you can't always tell. There's one. There's one character, uh, a British uh, character named uh, Simon Foster, played by Tom Hollander, who is in uh, Gosford Park, and uh, he was in the HBO miniseries John Adams, and and his character basically, he just he, he's a he's an ineffectual politician just no matter what he try what he's trying to do he will probably fail and wind up doing the exact opposite uh one of the things that kicks the story into gear is him uh giving a statement about war as being unforeseeable and uh, all of a sudden some people are like well unforeseeable what does that mean does that mean that he thinks war is unnecessary and then when he said when and he the character actually is anti-war uh but then he, when he wants to elaborate his statement, he all of a sudden starts talking, starts saying very pro-war things, completely by accident. That's what's that's what's amazing. Is he he just always wind and so both sides feel like they can use him because oh well one side oh he said war was unforeseeable the other side says oh no he's using all these great metaphors uh, that are pro-war and so he he just he can't do anything right and i and to me he is he is one of the most dynamic characters in the film because he's not dumb that's the thing a, a lesser film would have made th- made this character dumb uh he's just not a good politician he still thinks in a political way but he just he's just not good at it he has strong opinions about the war but he is unable to elaborate on them and he's he just can't get his message across and he just can't do anything right and what makes the character go from um from funny to kind of sad is that he knows this he's aware that he is not a good politician and and he knows that he's he's in over his head and you know and when somebody 
if if he if he just walked around oblivious to the things that he was doing, then he would be purely comical. But the fact that he realizes that he is not helping his cause and he's not helping himself, that he's just something of a national joke, the fact that he realizes that, the self-awareness and the self-consciousness involved makes him a very sad character. But then a lot of these characters are very, wind up being quite sad. Uh, probably the uh, if there is a main character, I'd say that this is a very much an ensemble piece. But probably the the person that gets, uh, if you read reviews and stuff, uh, the character that gets mentioned the most is a character named Malcolm Tucker, played by uh, Peter Capaldi. And um, he is just this crazy spin doctor who is doing everything he can to make this war happen because it's what his bosses want to happen. And and he is just a just a bulldog. I mean, he will just... He just tears into somebody. He has a scene where he is playing opposite James Gandolfini, who, of course, was Tony Soprano on The Sopranos. He's a, Gandolfini is a very large, imposing man. And what's more is his character is a general, so you get James Gandolfini in a general uniform. And he's, and he's angry at, uh, at Malcolm Tucker. And yet Malcolm Tucker kind of wins the confrontation because he is not going to be intimidated by this guy. He's not going to be intimidated by anybody. He is just a shark. He will he's just going to keep moving, just keep surviving. And there is one moment when he just finds that all the things that he's been working and trying to do um have not amounted really to anything and uh one of the and one of the American politicians who has heard so much about this guy's reputation just kind of lays into him and says, like, you, you, you couldn't do anything for me, so what What good are you? And and Malcolm Tucker is just, you, you get this impression that he's just very sad, that he's he's ba- he's based his whole life around being able to do things and being able to work miracles. And the minute he can't do that, then what good is he in life? And so when he has that moment of sadness he's he's not a completely sympathetic character i mean you you enjoy watching him because he's very funny but you're not really on board with his motives but in that moment you feel really bad for him but then uh it motivates him to really kick it into high gear and just i mean he starts fabricating things he just he does anything that he can uh to win basically and and what's saddening is that eventually he does win. Um, and the reason that that's sad is because he, he doesn't care about this war. He, he doesn't care if it happens, if it doesn't happen. He only cares that he wins, that he is on the winning side. Because as I said, his life, his, his essence as a person is all about winning. And, and that's, what, that, that's one of the sad things about this film is that so many of these characters are motivated not by the greater good but by their own ambition and their own selfish reasons and on both on both sides and it really winds up quite sad um because spoilers i believe i already said this and and you and when you watch the film you really see what you you see what's coming um and basically 
it ends with the war is a go and uh let's 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 get into it and and you realize that like oh all this fun that i was having watching these people maneuver and yell at each other and all that all the all the all those moments that i was laughing it was like a big game and i think that's how the characters themselves view it they view it as a game but then suddenly by the end you as the viewer realize that wait a second this this isn't a game this these countries are about to declare war people are going to die and and it's that sobering realization that you know makes you realize like oh my gosh i was approaching this from entirely uh the wrong way and you know, maybe if the people who were anti-war in in the film, like maybe if they had fought harder or maybe if they fought for the right reasons and not their own advancement, um, then maybe they could have won. Who knows? And and so it's it, it ultimately winds up being a very dark film and very sad and but still incredibly recommendable. I mean, wonderful performances all around. Uh, right down to, uh, I, I live in Los Angeles and there's, and I, I really love the LA stand up comedy scene. And there's a, a young kid, he's like 21, 22, his name is Johnny Pemberton. And, uh, and he's in the film as a, uh, as I don't think he's an elected official, but he's, you know, he's a, he's a, a Washington official who has to deal with Malcolm Tucker, who will not take him seriously because he's 22 and uh and so even even this little you know this this kid has a lot of great lines and and just the acting is spot on the writing is spot on uh and but what's more is it's it's very funny but it's in service of something it's in service of the way that we um as i won't just say americans but the way that, that people approach war um it just becomes this thing that we talk about um, it doesn't really mean anything, and people will debate about it back and forth from an often from an academic standpoint, uh, failing to realize that it has it has consequences to everybody, and and this is a film that that reflects that, and uh, and the companion film. Uh, that I will be talking about today is uh, Doctor Strangelove, and I'm, I'm sure many of you have seen it already. Um, but it's a film that I that I love. I, I loved it when I first saw it, and as I grow older, the more I I appreciate it because it's it's very much the same. Where uh, it takes place in the middle of the Cold War, where nuclear you know nuclear annihilation is always kind of hanging over people's heads, and and in the midst of this, you have uh, neurotic egotistical people both on the American and the Russian side who are you know in, in the face of global annihilation where and nuclear holocaust where billions of people in the world will die they still get focused on their stupid petty little their their stupid little you know prejudices and stuff and uh and that is actually quite funny is that i mean the world is going to end um, and for those that, that haven't seen it, basically the, uh, uh, a general, uh, a rogue American general, uh, basically starts world war three. Um, and then the Russians reveal that if they are bombed, they have set up something called the doomsday 
machine where if they are bombed, then bombs will blow up the entire world. And it's automatic, and there's nothing they can do. And so when it becomes clear that, oh, we can't, we can't stop this, then it's like, okay, well, maybe we can preserve the human species by living in tunnels or mine shafts. And, and then, of course, as they're talking about the preservation of the human species... Some of the generals that just can't help but say like, well, you know, we can't have, we can't let our mine shafts uh, become uh, like invaded or just inferior to uh, the mine shafts of the Russians. You know, we can't allow uh, a mine shaft gap, and just these petty, petty squabblings as as humanity is about to uh, basically die, and but they still have these just these little these little egotistical arguments that ultimately don't mean anything when, when, when countries don't matter anymore. And, uh, and so I, I feel like, uh, in the loop is very similar to Dr. Strangelove and showing just the petty, flawed, silly people that are making these decisions and just, and just how so depressing, funny, whatever you want to call it, how sad it is that these are the people making decisions uh, about who's going to live and who's going to die. Um, and I'm not sure what what we can necessarily learn from that except to uh, amend our own attitudes about war and politics uh, and not view it as simply a game. I mean, some people, when talking about, uh, you know, like... I, I'm I'm fairly politically moderate, um, which basically guarantees that I will get yelled at by everybody. Um, I remember during the the election, I wound up defending uh, Obama to some of my conservative friends, and I wound up defending McCain to some of my liberal friends. Um, and and so I, I've heard arguments uh, back and forth, and I myself have engaged in some of these arguments where it's not about listening to the other person. You will listen to them insofar as uh, you want to hear what they say so you can jump on it, twist it, and win the argument. Uh, it's, it just becomes words that don't mean anything, but the words do mean something, and, and the words have consequences uh, with politics or faith or whatever. Um, and so... I feel like that's something that we can learn from In the Loop and Dr. Strangelove is that this isn't all a game. These these films are funny, but by the end of each film, you find yourself kind of choking on your laughter and you realize like, oh, geez, this is this is not just a comedy. And what's sad, the reason I can't laugh anymore is that real life is probably pretty similar to this. And so um, so I feel like that's, you know, what what we can take from these films. Uh, and as far as the consequences of war, that's something that I will be discussing next week with uh, my guest, uh, Benjamin C. Uh, he is an actor working out here in Hollywood. And so, um, anyway, if you wanted to, uh, any feedback that you might have for me, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, you can join in the conversation on the forum. Uh, we've got a lot of blogs being written all the time, so go and read those, uh, comment on them, uh, and just, you know, familiarize yourself with the website. Uh, and, uh, yeah, as I said before, um, I apologize if I offended anybody in the things that I, that I said, uh, in this episode or any other episode, it was not my intention. Um, and, uh, 
and thanks everybody for listening and I will get you next time. Bye.